Our scripture reading this morning uh, comes from the first letter of John, chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. Hear the word of God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because he, as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers and sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. We conclude our sermon series this morning on the character of a United Methodist by focusing on loving others. We began with love in the first sermon on the series and we end with love. Loving God and then loving others. The two most important things we can do as a church and as a Christian is to love God and to love others. We've also learned from our series on the character of a United Methodist how to find joy and how to rejoice in every circumstance. Then at midway through the month of October, we began to pre prepare for this season of Thanksgiving as we learned that United Methodists are always thankful. And we learned how John Wesley used Paul's passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 as his foundational teaching to give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Last week, Pastor Neil preached a powerful sermon on prayer and took us back to the story of Moses and the burning bush. We learned to take off our shoes as we stood on holy ground in cultivating a life of prayer. And today we conclude with what it means to love others. The story is told of a congregation who had just received a new pastor. And everyone was excited about meeting this new minister and hearing him preach his very first sermon. Come Sunday morning, the sanctuary was packed out. The people sat on the edge of their pews in anticipation, and sure enough, he preached a doozy. His text was John 4, 11. Beloved, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. And as the sermon ended, heads began to nod, and the Pastor Parish Relations Committee breathed a huge sigh of relief and thought to themselves, well, he's a keeper. But the next Sunday, as the minister read the text for the day and a few of the old saints raised their eyebrows because it was the same text as the Sunday before, 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. 
They had never heard two consecutive sermons on the same text before. But to give their new preacher the benefit of the doubt, they listened carefully and they tried to be open-minded. But as the preacher began his sermon, lo and behold, it was the same sermon they had heard the week before, word for word. Well, they didn't know what to do. Was this some sort of a, a joke? Were they supposed to get a deeper meaning the second time around? Did he even realize he was repeating himself? <laughs> and the next Sunday, everyone was on the edge of their seats, sitting on pins and needles. The tension was so thick, you could cut it with a knife. You could sense a storm was beginning to brew among the leadership. And when the new minister began reading the text, you could see the congregation literally squirming in their seats. And again, he read from 1 John 4, verse 11, Behold, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. But to their great dismay, he began the sermon with the exact same words that he had used for the last two previous Sundays. But before he could even get past the introduction, one of the members jumped up and said, Preacher, we've heard this sermon twice now. What gives? The minister looked at his member and said, Why, nothing, really. If you can do this, that is, love one another, then I'll give you another sermon next week. This one passage is truly the heart and soul of the gospel, is it not? It's what distinguishes us as Christians. It lives out the old camp song that we learned as children. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. But the reality is sometimes we don't feel very loving. And to be honest, some folks are a lot easier to love than others. But that doesn't get us off the hook from answering God's call upon our lives to love one another. In calling us to love others, John Wesley knew that the early Methodists were like most human beings, prone to self-indulgence. The longest part of Wesley's treatise on the character of a Methodist deals with our propensity to be self-absorbed. When God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves in Mark 12, 33, we are literally called to look beyond ourselves. And as Wesley described this outward action, he wrote that we love God, we rejoice in God, we give thanks to God, we pray to God as a means of forming a personal communion with God that grows into the commission to live for God. As we are seeking to be spiritually formed by these characteristics of the Christian life, Wesley's understanding was that we live into these directives, you see. We live into these characteristics. Wesley's understanding that was we become love. In other words, each characteristic is, is given with purpose. Steve Harper writes that, Three of the most important words in our spiritual formation are these, in order that. We love God in order that we might discover a profound relationship with God. We read our Bibles in order that we might have a deeper understanding of God's Word 
and direction for our lives. We pray in order that we might, and you can fill in the blank, ask for healing, comfort, grace for a dear one. It doesn't minimize the personal benefits of these spiritual practices, but it does keep us aware of the fact that we receive in order to give. The second commandment becomes the conduit. It says, uh, Wesley, the, God, the God's love flows through us after it has flowed into us. It is love, said Wesley, that is full of love to all humankind, to every child of the Father, of the spirits of all flesh. It is a love that empowers me to be in a relationship to a child from Guatemala who jumped on my shoulders one day as I was walking by, and he wouldn't let me go. He was so hungry for someone to care about him and, and love him beyond his circumstances of poverty and loneliness and abandonment. Wesley stretches our understanding of God's love even further when he writes that God's love extends through us to people we don't even know and to people whose lives we don't approve of. It extends even to our enemies. In other words, it's the kind of love, that agape love, that unconditional love that isn't given because of the nature of the receiver, but because of the nature of the giver. Let me say that one more time. It's that kind of love that isn't given because of the nature of the receiver, but because of the nature of the giver. We touched on this as we talked about loving God, but here Wesley brings it up again and again so that we just won't miss it. There's no more radical love than this, than to love everyone regardless. And this is the kind of love God commands and the kind of love Wesley commends to us. Wesley was even quoted as saying, what religion do I preach? I preach the religion of love. I preach the religion of love. I remember Kitty Ball telling the story about meeting a young Afghan woman at Publix named Nora. Kitty went to be with our Heavenly Father last month and much too soon for all of us. We'll remember her as one of our saints next week. But in her Kitty Ball fashion, she introduced herself to a person she didn't even know. And as she was introducing herself and getting to know Nora, she thought, you know, I don't have any Muslim friends. I need some Muslim friends. I need to reach out to this woman and get to know her. She was expecting a baby, was struggling with some of the customs and cultures of the South. And as Kitty simply introduced herself, she decided, I'm going to be her friend. And I'm going to be supportive, and I'm going to develop a relationship with her. And she threw herself into that relationship. She organized and threw a baby shower for her, invited all of her friends to come. She provided nurture and unconditional love for Nora and her yet-to-be-born child. 
And most importantly, Kitty built a relationship based on unconditional love and acceptance, where there was absolutely no relationship there before. Now there was. That's modeling agape love, you see. That's loving the other with all the love in your heart. Many have been students of Dr. Frank Lobach, known for his missionary work around the world and his literacy model that transcended cultures and languages. His method of each one teach one quickly translated not only to languages, but an evangelistic model for the church. Dr. Lobach had morning prayer that began simply with this prayer. Lord, what are you doing in the world today that I can help you with? Lord, what are you doing in the world today that I can help you with? Isn't that marvelous? This twofold wisdom of his prayer guided him, you see, into faithful living. First, the prayer reminded him that God is at work in the world. God doesn't wait for us to act, but rather invites us to join in on what's already going on. And secondly, the prayer reminded him that there are some things God is doing that we aren't expected to have to plan out. Some things that God is doing where disciples can just jump in on an assignment on a measurable and achievable amount of the will of God. This kind of loving others is attached to the work we do every day. I love how Pastor Neil invites us to, to pitch our ears and peel our eyes to what we have yet to hear and see. The saints who have gone before us refer to this as an ordinary holiness. We see it in Jesus' first call to his apostles. We see it in Jesus himself. We see it when he told the disciples to fish for people. For you see, he was already talking to people who knew how to fish. This was his way of saying, take what you normally do, what you naturally do so well, and do it for me. And suddenly, discipleship or evangelism isn't a course we have to take and pass, but rather it is an offering of the life that we live every single day. Romans 12 in the Message Bible tells us exactly what we need to do. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Susanna Wesley lived this out daily in understanding that every moment in our lives is a God moment. Discipleship connects us with others. We can't keep or help from sharing God's good gifts to us, whether it's our tangible possessions or the intangible qualities that have made us who we are in Christ Jesus, like a kitty ball. So it is no surprise that the fifth mark of the character of a United Methodist is nothing other than giving to others what we have already received from God. Charles Wesley, of course, in his musical way, said it 
to a hymn and verse, and he wrote these words from his brother's sermon. Summoned my labor to renew, and glad to act my part. Lord, in thy name my work I'll do, and with a single heart. Wesley said, if your heart is as my heart, then give me your hand, and we'll do it together. Let us pray. Gracious God, move us beyond ourselves this day. As we meet the stranger, as we find your love in us to give away to others, Lord, help us to love unconditionally, to be the Spirit of Christ to someone who needs a friend. Help us as we share your love. For it's in your holy name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen and Amen.